0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey y'all, Michael here, one of the pastors of The Village. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, and man, what a joy it is to be Back here with you, and I can't wait for all you all to be here. So I have come to the end of myself on a few occasions, and I've, I've shared some of those with you uh, over the years want I want to speak to one right now and then one in just a few minutes. Uh, I was newly married. Kim and I were married uh, in in college, and, and so we had a lot going on. I was working midnights eight pm to eight am making windows. Uh, and so I can make a, a better uh, window than a door, that is. Um, and and, uh, and so things were crazy. We were driving about 50 minutes to college and, and just all kinds of stuff. And we thought it was a good idea if I became a, a youth pastor at that time. And so I became uh, a part-time staff youth pastor and things were just a little crazy. And so uh, that put a lot of burden on, on Kim. And, and I remember one day specifically, we're in our apartment. She comes in, Michael will wake up, and she probably had punched me repeatedly, or, or whatever, to get me, you know, up, and whatever, and I, I I, stumbled into the hallway of our little apartment, and I looked up, and Kim was getting ready for work, or whatever, and I just laid there, and and I was, like, trying to construct a thought of, like, what I was supposed to be doing, or where I was supposed to be going, or what I was supposed to be preparing, and I, I just, I, I could not, I, I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing, and, and I looked to Kim, and I was like, what am, like, where I, I just couldn't even, I couldn't construct a clear thought about what I was supposed to be doing. My brain was letting my body, or, or maybe my body was letting my brain know that, that I couldn't do it, and that I had a limit, and that limit was, was this, right? Um, but sometimes it isn't so obvious when we come to the end of ourselves. In fact, we often think that we don't have limitations. Many of us live that way, and if we did think for a moment that we do have limits, we surely wouldn't say it, Uh, because acknowledging our own limitations in in whatever category of life, it makes us feel weak, And, and even worse than that, it might make us appear weak to those around us. So we, we overcome and we overcompensate by performing and by just doing everything for everyone uh, or by pretending and, and by putting on a front and, and faking it until maybe we never make it. Uh, we, we posture our hearts and we just, you know, how are things? Oh, th- things are good. And we just let everybody know that, that we're just fine and we're doing all the things. Um, but what we're really doing is is we're fooling ourselves and we're, we're trying to fool others and we we're overextending and we're serving poorly and, and leading even more poorly and we're making things worse for ourselves uh, and, and worse for literally everyone around us just so we don't give the illusion that we can't be all to all. And I get those feelings and today I hope as we close down Act 1 of, of Exodus I hope I can offer some hope through the scriptures to me and to you who find yourself in that situation. The the big idea is acknowledging our limitations is a sweet opportunity for God to build without limits. So in this series uh, that, that we've been walking through, so much of what we've seen is God in the miraculous. Him doing incredible things and Him literally showing up as, as pillars of, of cloud and fire and, and him bringing upon plagues and, and mighty works and, and holding up water in some supernatural ways, and we've seen that a ton. But, but in this chapter, what we see is, is just the opposite. We see like a ton of just explicit humanity. It, it's so human, and, and I want us to know through these 18 chapters that we've journeyed together, a couple of things. One, that, that God saves his people. And he saves his people before they ask. And, and he does that before any of them followed in faithfulness. And, and, and secondly, he saves and rescues because of his love and by his power. But, but he also invites us into a relationship and into the journey with him from captivity to freedom. And that looks all sorts of ways. As we acknowledge that in Exodus, and as we've done week in, week out, chapter by chapter, we get to see that these realities are also true, not just for God's people who are held captive in Egypt, but for, but for all who are in Christ in, in even all the greater ways. So, with those things in mind, we get to see that, that God's goal, and He's been saying this literally from the, f- the first chapter until now, His goal is so that, that he might be acknowledged as God alone and that he might be glorified and worshiped. And so we pick up in Exodus chapter 18, and, and we re-enter this life of Jethro, which is Moses' father-in-law. And if you don't believe me, read this chapter. I think it says it like 38 times. Jethro, uh, my father-in-law, Moses' father-in-law. And so, so we, we get to see that. So I just want to read this and, and talk through it a little bit, and then we'll hit on some practical stuff on the back end. So Jethro... The priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, for, uh, for God's people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, or Zipporah, I think they just called her Zip back in the day, um, Moses' wife. So remember, Moses had a wife, and at some point she went back home to be with Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and 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 now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zip, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. We, we skip down to verse 5. And it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness. And the, the the They were encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So, so they, they shot a message to Moses, hey, we're going to be in town, we know where you're at, let's hang out. And so Moses, he went to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Just think about how real what's happening here. They haven't seen each other in a while. There's all kinds of stuff. Like, what has God been doing in your life? Well, gosh, I can't wait to tell you. And he does. And he points to all the, man, it was, it was really tough, but God showed himself, and he, and he delivered me and, and all of God's people. And this is Jethro's response. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so finally someone other than Moses, they get it. And they look and they say, wow, that is incredible. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the, hand of the, out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. That's what God's been trying to tell them all the while. Now I know he's, he's the greatest. He's the only God because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people in Jethro. Moses' father-in-law brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And and so they worshiped together for all that God had done. So so now they've caught up, and now that we are caught up, uh, we get to watch Jethro just observe and speak wisdom and truth to Moses and, and all who live as if we have no limitations. And this is point one. There are only two, and they're 80 minutes long each. So hang on. Number one, we all have limits. I want to continue reading in verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? So Jethro, he, he hangs out, he gets caught up. And then he's just like, hey, do you mind if I stick around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got some stuff going on in the morning. You want to check it out? And so he comes, and he sits down, and he just watches Moses. And Moses does what he does. And then Jethro says, uh, excuse me, after a day, of, of, uh, a day in the life of Moses, Jethro says this, why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses is like, oh, I, I'll tell you why. Uh, because the people come to me and inquire of God. Why are you standing alone? Well, because the people want me to. And they, they keep coming. And so I keep showing up. Uh, and they, they come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. That's what Jethro said. What you are doing is not good. It was probably like this. I, Moses, I, you know, I, I consider you like my own son. And I have to tell you something. That what the way that you are living, it's not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So, as we begin this point, we all have limits. And I, I just want you to know that, that you have Limits. And man, in that is sweet freedom. Uh, One of the other parts of my life where I came to the end of myself, or one chapter in the book of the history of the village church, is the one where Michael almost died. All right? And and if you've been around for a long time, you you walked with us through that. And and if you haven't, you've probably heard that, but it it went like this. as we continued, as I picked myself up from the hallway in our little apartment, and nothing changed, and we kept doing what we're doing, and we decided uh, that, that God was calling us to plant a church, and we, we did that, and we invited people in, and, and we're doing all the things, and, and now I'm, I'm working as a, as a high school science teacher, and, and we're figuring out what it looks like to plant a church and figuring out what it looks like to preach and, and shoring up our, our theological positions and trying to do all the things and uh, na- just naive enough To continue on doing it. We were optimistic. And and while we would spend uh, many, many, while I would spend many, many, many hours just trying to figure out how to write a sermon. And I I would step all night on Saturday night and show up on Sunday morning at the YMCA and preach to 23 people. People would come two hours early and we put all the chairs out and do all the things and set up all the things, and it was just like, this is a lot. And and there was one time that I remember specifically, and I did not say this type of thing publicly very often, but it was my wife and I, we were on a date, and I said to her, like, uh, how long are we going to do this? We're a couple years in, there's been some fruit, and it's been fine, but, like, is this what success looks like in church planting? Because it's really difficult. And uh, I just don't know how much longer I can continue to lead myself, lead our family, certainly lead this church like this. And so, uh, I, I don't know. Kim and I, she, she works hard, and we both just dig in, and we just go for it. And, and so, I, I remember saying, hey, if we're having this conversation in a year, is, like, is, is that okay? Like, at what point does this whole thing fall apart, right? And then, a short time later, we're at this, um, this is an epic for anyone who was in the room. There were about 20 people in the room. It was a members meeting. That was, that was all the members and I don't remember if we had elders or if they were just a leadership team at the time, but they were like, hey, you need to tell the, the church uh, just what your life's like in, in a typical week or whatever. And Okay, so I did, and, and everybody's like, God, that's why you look so terrible. Oh, you know, it's like, oh, you know, thank you. And, and, and there was this one guy, he's, his, his name was Rick Meyer, he's my community group leader to this day, and he said these words. He said, money in, in the church's bank account, doesn't mean much if we have a dead pastor. And I don't, I don't remember how anybody responded. It was probably something like, yeah, that's true. Well, f- from that point on, we began to kind of figure stuff out, and, and we took some chances, and the church was able to pay me a little bit, and at some point I quit my job, and and, and that was the beginning of, you know, honestly, a, a little bit more health for me personally, a little bit more health for my family, and a lot more health for the Village Church. Uh, and, and I wasn't the only one doing that sacrifice and investing, but, but, but here's the deal. Listen, you have limits. And, and that is a great thing. That is something to be embraced and celebrated and identified and protected and declared. Look, everyone's threshold is not the same, and, and everybody can't handle the, they can't juggle the same amount of things in the same way in the same vein, and that is perfectly okay. There is freedom in the truth of personal limitation and it it's 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 not always easy to see And, and it isn't always motivated by some some hunger and thirst for power and, and for spotlight, but it might just be ignorance. And that seems to be what Moses is doing. He's doing all the things in the whole community. A uh, million plus people stand in line, and, and he says, oh, this is a good thing, and this is a bad thing. And, and that doesn't make any sense, but, but he couldn't see it. And this seems to be uh, what, what we do at times. He needs help, not only in his limitation, and not only because he has limitations, but even more importantly, to see that he has limitations. So he's doing what he thinks is best for himself and for others and for the community, and he falls into this trap where, uh, where the judgment, the judgments of God channel and they hinge on Moses' ability to see right and to see wrong. And what's crazy about this is, this was a different time in, in kind of the, the history of redemption and how this whole thing unfolds. Um, there was less revelation. They didn't even have the law at this point. That wouldn't come for a few more chapters. And so I'm not sure how Moses knew what was right and what was wrong and how he's making these judgments. But you can bet that there was a ton of pressure on him. So you might be living out of, out of a false truth that you're the hinge holding the world Together And at times it might feel like you are the hinge, if nothing else, holding your world together. In chapter 17, in this uh, kind of journey, what we saw was we saw Moses ask Joshua to, to choose people to fight against the outsiders. And he invited them in and, and, and he got help in that way. Joshua needed help, Moses needed help, and now we see the same thing except it isn't fighting from the outside, but it's choosing people to judge and to care for matters within, within God's community, which is perfectly fitting because, as I said, in just two chapters, God will give the standard for what it looks like to live life together in wisdom under God's law as a covenant community of God's people. But how many times have we felt like Moses? If not me, then who? And, and I have to answer them because if I don't, then they will accuse me of, of being a negligent leader. What if someone showed up and I had an out-to-lunch sign? Like they, they would think bad of me. And, and uh, no one else is going to stand in and, and offer discretion and judgment. So, so, and, then, and then Moses, as we've seen him motivated by guilt, he's saying it's the least I can do. I am the reason that they're in this mess to begin with. I am the one that that God used to to pull them out. So there's all sorts of things that that he he believes about himself and about the community that would allow him to do this. And that's not to say that we don't get to work through difficult times. That's not to say that there are not seasons where we get to just just plow through and work hard. Because sometimes we get to do that, but we get to do that with wisdom. And it doesn't matter what burden we're bearing, we must know that there is a point that if if we don't acknowledge and respond appropriately to, to our very real limitations, we will buckle, we will break, we will fail, we will give way, and it may not be all at once, and, and it may not be of a, a, a moment of just disorientation in the, the hallway of the apartment, um, but it might be in the form of of character erosion, where we begin to take shortcuts because we can't do what, what everyone thinks that we ought to do or at least what we think we ought to do. And so we begin to take shortcuts. Or, or maybe it is in the form of health, or maybe it's both, but we must live with our fragility and limitations in mind. The beauty of this, in uh, Pastor Scott's setup what we're going to be doing next and and, and walking through Micah, as it, uh, as it was planned at the beginning of the year, we were going to, to do a second part of a series of attributes of God. He is, and we're going to look at the, the ways that God is not like us. And so we didn't want to continue in that and not at least speak to and, and deal with some of the stuff going on. We didn't want to Uh, Water the garden with the house on fire behind us, right? But if I had jumped into that series in this coming week, what I was going to be preaching on was was this fact that God is infinite. That he is without limit. That he he has no limitation. And what a shelter that is in contrast to us who live as if we are infinite. To live as if we are infinite. Uh, living with no limitation and, until we find out otherwise. Or as Jethro says to Moses, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. Pastor Scott said in this past week's uh, podcast, the Formed and Sent podcast that we shoot out, and it, and it was on the Bible or whatever, but, but he pointed to this and he said this, this word, certainly wear yourselves out, it means to wither. And so in an agricultural society, they would have seen that like quite explicitly. Man, I don't want to look like that, that wilted plant over there. But for us, what this would kind of translate in, in our modern society would be, you are certainly going to burn out. And I think most of us know what that means. It means you're going to, to burn yourself and your people out. You can't continue to live this way. And then he goes on, he says, for the thing is too heavy for you, you are not able to do it alone. So, so he, he might have said something like this, Moses, God has done much through you, but you're not that big of a deal. You don't hold the world in orbit. You can't do it. You will surely die. Or, or, or what is a good judge or what is a good leader? If he dies of exhaustion, if he burns out, if he wilts, if he fades. So the goal of Jethro is, is aiming here at endurance in, in ministry, in life. And remember, Moses is is 80 plus years old at this point. So we all need Jethro's in our life to observe with, with confidence and to tell us when we're living like fools, and so what we get to do is we get to think, man. If someone told me this, or maybe today the Spirit would be telling you this through this word, you might respond with rejection and with dismissal, or you might plead your strength, or you might say, "Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, and 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 I'm strong, and I can endure, and I'm doing just fine." But but hear me, you would you would better be served if you heed. And rejoice and embrace the freedom and the flourishing that flows through the grace of knowing that you have limitations. This passage and these words are grace upon grace to the weary. We all have limitations. And the second thing that we get to see here is that uh, our limits are opportunities, In a live stream, I can can still drink water, right? I'm real. You know that, right? (laughs) Our limits are opportunities. So we have the opportunity to to give away what we can't bear alone, and we have the opportunity to give grace to others who who don't wear a cape. I have been around many leaders and and pastors and people who run around like Chickens with their head cut off, and, and I've been one of those people, and I've been one of those pastors um, puffed up in pride about late nights of work and, and busyness, and what I would say to, to me or to you is that is ignorant, and that is immature, and that is foolish, and that is unsustainable, and it's irresponsible on a leader's Behalf to create a culture that prides themselves on the sin of importance. Or, or as I I read um, recently, busyness or uh, the failure to acknowledge the fact that we have weakness or the failure to, to Sabbath and rest in the Lord is the only sin that can give a pastor a raise. That's not okay. It's not okay for me. It's not okay for others to, to herald really uh, something that, that is, it, it should be shunned and set aside. And to herald that as good, that, that is not okay. So, so why would we do that? Why would we live as if we don't have limitations? Well, we've already looked at a couple, but, but a few reasons. It's because we think that we have to. This is what Moses says. Well, why are you doing this, Moses? Well, because the people show up. And he just, he just assumes that he has to do it. And, and then the other reason is because others demand it. It's a two-way street. And, and, and building a culture that, that says God has no limits uh, is quite different than building a culture that, that says man and women and children have no limits or no limitations. And so uh, Moses' work ethic is a product of the culture that, that has been built around him. Uh, if, if they're unhappy... Then they're going to come to him and they're going to say, man, let's just head back to Egypt. All this is for not, Why did you bring us here? And he's seen that many times. And so he's doing anything that he can to coddle and to cater just so the people are happy. That's on them and that's on him. But when we begin to understand that there is one who has no limits and it's not me and it's not my neighbor. When we begin to unravel identity from activity then we can begin to step into opportunities that God would have for us, for his people, for his kingdom. And so the lens of of freedom from I have to, and if not me, then who? And and if I don't, then they'll think that I, all of that, it's a misacknowledgement of, of who spins the world and who holds all things together. Again, I'm not neglecting pressure. And in life, we will have pressure. I'm not neglecting or or pushing against hard work, but I am rejecting a self-centered orbit that says, the only reason that the world or the world around me spins is because I'm in the center of it. That is destructive. And so if you feel like you have to wear a cape and you have to be a superhero to to live your life, to carry out the expectations uh, of yourself or of those around you, You need to talk to someone because what you're doing is not sustainable. Or as the scriptures say, in Colossians 1.6, Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, And he is before all things, check it out, and in him all things hold together. And the liberty in that is, this is not true of you. You are not the him that holds all things together. So what we get to do is we get to acknowledge that Christ holds all things together and we get to stop living like we are the ones that hold all things together. Because our limitations are opportunities, we get to do two things. One, we get to cut mere humans some slack. We get to cut mere humans some slack by offering grace to them as they serve and grace to them as they lead. And and that is uh, in, in a culture that cancels for the smallest misstep uh, we deem not my insert office role name person we contribute and we create a culture that while acknowledging that that Christ alone holds all things together we leave no room for human fault consider uh, in your mind how critical your thoughts and your words might be and I know this isn't true for everyone but I know sometimes it is for me when I become, when I grow cynical about the things around me. How much of, uh, by percentage, how much of the words that I say are about how someone else needs to do more or be better or think through things a little more clearly or they didn't speak correctly or they need to lead more effectively or, or understand enough or or do enough or give enough away. When... When we live like that, we forsake the gift, and what a gift the current culture of accountability is. God is um, shining light into dark places. And and even this week, you see stuff that people have said from from a decade ago come up, and it, it's costing people their jobs left and right. And and hear me when I tell you, this is a good thing in this sense that, that uh, when, when people express themselves and they say things that, that uphold inequality and, and anything that opposes the image of God and, and all humanity and all those things, gosh, we get to shine light on those things, long-standing injustice. We get to shine light on those things, men, women, black, white, all those things, and what a gift that light into darkness is. But we have to understand, on, on the other hand, what that does to build a culture, and it might be in our own minds and our own hearts. Uh, we have to understand that how that culture spills into our hearts uh, and leads to unnecessary criticism. That's one thing to, to talk about injustice, it's another thing to, to take pot shots at your kid's little league baseball coach right and so when when we're when everyone's critical about everything we get to be mindful and and when i'm driving in a and i drive up to a construction zone and you know what i begin to do i begin to think and and, and i begin to think uh, man i don't know why they closed this lane it seems like it would be better if they closed that lane and, and why didn't they put the cones here so that that makes no sense and and then what what i find out is that i am very critical in my spirit. I offer no grace and, and while I know theologically that there is one who has no limitations, there is one who's perfect, I really start to project that on everyone around me. I then create a culture that, that everyone around me has to wear a cape. So what we do is, is we feed the burnout and we feed idolatry of, of, of no-mistake culture and here's the thing, as as those who are in Christ, those Christians uh, as we live in light of, of God who has been generous and gracious to us, man, we should be a people with, with grace dripping from our lips because we have been forgiven much. So, so this would be like point 2.1, two point right? And, and we get to cut mere humans some slack. And 2.2 and two would be we get to let others use their gifts to build what matters. I want to flip just for a second Acts chapter 6 and many of you know this as kind of the, the beginning of the deacon ministry in the church and this is uh, you know a thousand years later after our text in Exodus and, and we uh, Jesus has come and he has lived and he has died and and he is resurrected and he's ascended into heaven just four chapters before this and then you have the apostles in the early church trying to just figure out what the heck it looks like to, to live on mission and this is what happens now in, in these days, Whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen and and many others, and they laid hands on them. And and essentially, they they set out uh, a ministry system for for those who they had called and set apart to care for the widows so that the apostles might focus on the preaching of the word and on the things that were important to them. In this section in Exodus, let's jump in here in, in verse 19. Now obey my voice. This is Jethro to Moses. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them Know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So he says, keep doing what you're doing. This is a great thing. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe, just men, right? And, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people all the times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter... They shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you, you'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Man, we see this idea of of systems giving away uh, burden so that God can build through his people what matters most. When I read this, this a little insight into my brain. I love this. I begin to think like, okay, so they have to be men of character. What does that look like? What what are we actually judging? Okay, and what is it that that if they're what what determines a small matter and a large matter? Right? Do we need to insert like a point system? Like if if it feels like this, then okay, check it. if four of these boxes are checked, then it goes to me, right? And it, all right, that's that's. Building a system, and I love hanging out there, right? Scott's laughing. There are other humans in this room, right? Scott's laughing because he knows this is true, but I love it so much that uh, on Wednesday, this coming week, there's this, uh, this is organizational leadership. That's what we see. This coming week, uh, I get to talk about this stuff at an Acts 29 deal, a, a little pastor's coffee down in Cincinnati. I get to talk about building ministry systems and for me, it's like, oh gosh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. And for many others, most of you, maybe that's not true. And the reality is, for many pastors that I know, this is not true. It's torture. It's torture. For me, it's delight. To some of you, these questions and, and systems of leadership might seem unnecessary. And can't we just all, right, can't we just all, uh, can't we just go back to the way it was when everyone went to Moses or, or whatever, But the ones trying to create a culture that judges for themselves, to build a people up to know right and wrong, to know good and bad, to build competent leaders, godly people who live in community, caring for and bearing one another's burdens, these details become really, really important. It's why we think through what it looks like in, in the village church for, for there to be group leaders and, and what do we want them to know before they're leading a group and, and caring for and, and being disciples who multiply disciples. Or, or for us uh, in, in deacon ministry, we want them to be doers, but, but man, they have to be mobilizers to invite others into the thing. And, and I say this all the time, like we don't have a sound guy. We have a guy who who builds a team that invites others so that you might hear what I'm saying even right now. There's a big difference in that. So when our identity is free from have to, then we get to do our part of the get to for God's glory, not our own glory for God's people and not our own selves for God's mission and not our own mission. So as the church, we get to look for opportunities to serve, to lead, to invest, to to invite, to contribute. And when we do this, here's what Jethro, the wise old sage, this is what he says will follow. So it will be easier for you And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. And that's exactly what he does and what God does and what the people do. Acknowledging our limitations is a sweet opportunity for God to build without limits. And you might be saying, well, how do I get myself to embrace that. There is, there is actually nothing in this life that frees us to embrace our humanity with humility and to embrace our limitations more than Jesus himself, who literally was God. He, he showed up as a, as a human, fully human, fully God, and he laid down his life to build his kingdom without limits. He invited us, the church, to continue to build his kingdom. Because of Christ, we too get to come to the end of ourselves. We get to, in in our own way, We when we try to uh, take on too much, we come against what God is building. And when we try to take on too little, we come against what God is building. And all these things actually pan out in life as as we uh, live and, and work and and do the things that we do outside in the world but these principles are especially true for us who live in light of the king that we might join him to build his kingdom in Christ we must lay our lives down and join him in his death so that we might so that he might raise us up as we join him by faith in the resurrected life of Jesus here, now, and forever. So when we do that, we join Jethro's chorus, and we declare all the good that the Lord has done in his people. Man, we get to continue to sing in just a moment. We get to reflect, repent, and respond to God's word today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of being back in this space for the gift of, of all the people that you have put, not just around me, but, but as the village church and as your church scattered abroad, that you bring so many people to serve out of their gifts and to bear weight, and that that I no longer feel alone. God, would you free us to live in such a way that makes everything of you and nothing of ourselves that that lives to give things away that that we might multiply uh, our gifts by inviting others into that. God, would you give us uh, lips that just drip with grace as we understand the weight of, of serving and leading. Would you let us be a gracious people. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.